manage, uh, develop other people, for instance, to work in collaborative teams. Uh, creativity, although you know, increasingly we're you know starting to see machines that are able to compose music that's you know indistinguishable in quality from commercial music, for instance. Uh, but nevertheless, I think staying ahead is 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 one of those things that matters a lot. And I, I think the point you know Kate made and and you know during your interview you made as well. You know, education, retraining. Uh, you know, we spend a lot in the first two decades of life. What we'll need to do is continue to invest in people, in our human capital for people in the 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, and and onward. You've got to hope, Rachel Statham, that you live in a country where education is largely free then. Yes, absolutely. We need to think about what the offer to enable lifelong learning uh, and particularly to enable uh, people in the workforce to go back uh, to either upskill or to retrain what that looks like. Uh, and we need to make sure that that matches onto those workers who we know are more exposed uh, to automation and its effects. Uh, so we found uh, in the UK labour market, for example, uh, that women are twice as likely uh, as men to be in jobs that are, uh, have a high potential for automation. Uh, and that means we really need to think seriously about uh, what opportunities there are for women to retrain when their jobs uh, might be at higher risk of, of being uh, displaced. And that means thinking about things like practical barriers, like financial support uh, and like childcare for uh, for those that are retraining. So this is a really viable opportunity for people to, uh, you know, to upskill and to enhance the, the strength of our workforce. And how switched on are governments to the needs of an automated workplace? Hamoun Ehtiari in Toronto. What about the Canadian government? Do they know what's needed? <laughs> um, I think it has increasingly become a topic on the agenda for governments. And so, for example, a government like that of Canada over the last couple of years has invested in things like a future skill center for the country focused on that very question. It has invested in a lifelong learning credit on an annual basis, which is essentially a skills benefit account that everyone gets access to. And you see examples of this right around the world. Uh, and this particular question of how do we help people successfully continue to make the transitions that are going to be far more frequent in their careers is something we spent a lot of time thinking about in our work. And I would just call out perhaps three common flaws in our approaches to this that we see showing up. One is, and we heard a little bit of this in the, in the interview you had uh, with your guests, which is this implicit assumption we have that the guidance we should give to young people is to go to university. And I think there is increasingly, actually, we are doing injustice to our young people by making that the default and only path they consider coming out of uh, initial uh, 12 years of education, because there are increasingly many other alternatives. And especially from an affordability perspective, we need to make those far more visible, far more robust, and far more respected as alternatives for someone to take. The second is we have a problem where for any sort of education training and reskilling, we approach it as if you call an Uber, you get into the seat, and that's considered success. We have got to stop measuring success that way. Unless I arrive at my destination successfully with speed, with quality and affordability to my next opportunity, we should not consider reskilling training or education as success. And then the third is this implicit element of because there are jobs growing in the marketplace in particular sectors, we should point people to those jobs. We should absolutely give people the agency to know and understand what's happening in the market, but we should not be making decisions holistically for people across society of where they go next. Well, on that subject, partially anyway, one of the biggest impacts automation might have on the US economy in particular is in the field of driving. Driverless cars will inevitably take away jobs from cab drivers, but the biggest impact is expected to be in trucking. 
because millions of jobs could disappear when automated lorries finally become a thing of the present. Let's go to Spring Hill, Florida, and meet the owner of a trucking business who started up after the recession of the 1990s. My name is Linda Allen. I'm 57 years young, <laughs> and I own a small truck business. I'm a truck driver. My husband and I run all over the country, and we haul meat, poultry, vegetables, and ice cream. We're pretty popular. <laughs> Both my husband and I lost our jobs in the last economic recession, and we didn't know what to do. So I ended up getting a little bit of assistance to go through truck driving school myself. And we took the last of our retirement savings and bought our first truck. And we just started hauling. That was 12 years ago. There we go. All right. I mean, you work for it. It's not an easy job, but you can make a decent living. I'm able to resave for retirement again. I have a nice house. 